listening to this week's message from Freedom Church. For more info on Freedom, visit freedomdl.com. Thanks for listening. We're in the last week of a series called The Four Giants of Liberty County. And I'm going to let you know, as I've said before, and especially if you're new here, this is not a typical Sunday morning sermon that you're going to hear this morning. Okay, we've been diving deep into these four giants that have existed over Liberty County for as long as we can remember, as long as, as history um, has been recorded. And, and I've, gave, I've given you some biblical backing for this the first week. Uh, we talked about in Daniel chapter 10 about the Prince of Persia and how that was a spirit that the enemy had set up to stop the work of God through Daniel's life in Persia to move the kingdom forward. This is biblical stuff. This is not some hokum pokum. This is biblical. Okay, there are, there are spirits that the enemy has set up and given authority over in certain areas designed to keep the work of God from happening, not just in your life, but in the area as well. There's nothing Satan wants more than for these four giants to continue to replicate poverty mentality, addictions, discord, the one we're going to talk about today. There's nothing Satan wants more than for you to continue to live in addiction. And continue to live in a poverty mentality where you feel like you never, ever, ever have enough. That's where Satan wants you. Satan wants there to be strife and discord and enmity between you and your family and businesses. And yes, even churches in liberty. Satan wants that because if he gets that, he wins. A lot of times we think that Satan's just out to kill us. Well, yeah, kill, steal, and destroy, sure. But he would rather incapacitate you. He would rather get you to a place where you're so bitter and broken that you become a great advertisement for him. I'm not going to church. I got hurt at church. I hate church people. Satan loves you walking in that. He loves it. (coughs) It's a victory because he doesn't have to kill you to get that. He just has to disenfranchise you and disappoint you and let you down. (coughs) We want to see the kingdom move. We want to see God's best happen. So what do we have to do? We have to kill these giants. The one we're talking about today is a pretty intense one. And if you remember from the first message, this was one that I had to do some real thinking and, 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 and digging and figuring out, man, what is the name of this giant? Because the first three kind of came easy. This one was a little bit more difficult. Let me, let me put it to you like this. What if I were to say these things to you? You're not good enough. You always mess everything up. You're never going to amount to anything. How could anyone love someone like you? Why would God ever want to use you after what you've done? These these are horrible things to say. Horrible things to hear. And how do you respond whenever you hear something like this? Okay, now, if you hear it once or twice, you can probably just say, eh, it's not going to have that big of an impact on you. But what if you heard it all the time? What what if your earliest childhood memory was somebody telling you that you have water between your ears, that you're never going to amount to anything? Sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me, right? Is that accurate? I think I'd rather a nice chalk across the face one time than to constantly hear the enemy tell me that I'm not good enough. Or, Or a parent, or a coach, or some authority figure in our lives. How would it affect you if from the time you were a kid, you heard things like this in your mind? So when, when someone says hurtful things like these phrases that I mentioned, they tend to do more than just play once and then they're done. What happened is they tend to go on repeat. Thank you, brother. They tend to go on repeat. Okay? A- am I right? Uh, these, these things, they constantly... I mean, my goodness, if your dad said something to you when you were 10 years old, like you're never going to amount to anything... Every time you get in a situation where you could possibly become something, you hear that little word and you're, hey, you know, remember what your daddy said about you. This is what Satan loves to do with us. The phrases play and play and play. And as they play, they drill into us a narrative that we actually are the things those phrases are saying to us. They become self-fulfilling prophecies in that moment. And what happens is we find ourselves in situations in our everyday lives where that narrative seems to be reinforced in us where it seems to be proven in us. We have a moment where you might have a a narrative that says something like, I have no one to help me. No one will ever help me. And it seems like you can pinpoint moment after moment after moment, not in your past, but like in your present, where that's actually happening. You're like, you know what? It's true. It's a true narrative. I talk a lot about 
Narratives in Killing the Orphan Spirit, which is a book I wrote back in 2019 about the process of me killing the orphan spirit between 2015 and 2017. And the narrative is a lie that the enemy has whispered into your ears for as long as you can remember that's designed to keep you in orphanhood and never embracing sonship and daughterhood. That's, that's the whole premise of the book and how to defeat that. Look, God wants to destroy that narrative. He wants us to be everything that he created us to be. That's his plan for us. And if that's his plan for us, what do you think Satan's plan for us is? It's to do the opposite of that. He wants to keep that narrative alive so that you never become what God created you to be. So the truth is that the narrative, those hurtful phrases that play in your mind, they have a purpose. Y'all, the enemy's not trying to hurt your feelings. Okay? Oh, let's just hurt their feelings. No, that's not what he wants. He's trying to keep you in a cycle of self-defeating behavior that keeps you from ever experiencing the life that God has planned for you. That's his goal for your life. I wonder what Satan's up to. That's what he's up to. And he will use any means necessary to keep you in a self-defeating pattern. Why would he do that? Why? It's because it's simple. If you're in a self-defeating pattern and you can never get out of it, you are no threat to him. Some of us right now are experiencing attack and we're experiencing battles and it feels like Satan is after us constantly. Listen, that's what happens whenever you're actually moving the kingdom and chasing after God and getting things right in your family and dealing with issues from your past that are trying to wreak havoc in your present and your future. This is what happens. Satan, he will not mess with you if you're doing everything he wants you to do. That's what a lot of times people are like, well, I gave my life to Jesus and I'm trying to get all this stuff worked out in my life and I feel like I'm attacked at every corner. I lost my job. Somebody took my dog. Like, yeah, that, that, that's what Satan does. He, he's trying to keep you down. And, and look, I'm not talking about health, wealth, and prosperity. This is not prosperity gospel. I'm talking about purpose and fulfillment and that relationship with God that you've only dreamed of. That's what Satan wants to keep you away from. And he uses those thoughts and those phrases to taunt you and to torment you. A taunting, tormenting spirit. What is that? Well, look at the words taunt. Taunt means to provoke or challenge in a mocking or insulting manner, to jeer at. It's a bitter invective, which is abusive speech. It's from a Latin word that means to tempt, try, or provoke. And then on the other side of that, you have torment. What is torment? It's severe physical or mental suffering comes from a Latin word that means to twist. Let's look at an example of this in the Bible. Let's look at Luke chapter 22. This is as Jesus is being led away. Um, he's been arrested. Peter's already chopped the ear off a dude. So what's up, Peter? You know, like Second Amendment, you know, whatever. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a political joke. It's okay. Um, starting in verse 54. Then they seized him and led him away, bringing him to the high priest's house. This is Jesus. And Peter was following at a distance. When they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light, looked at closely at him and said, This man was also with him. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, You are also one of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. And after an, uh, an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly this man was also with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you're talking about. And immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and he wept bitterly. Goodness. Can you imagine being in that situation? It's bad enough you denied him three times. Jesus said, whoop, and looked at him. We see the aftermath here, but what led up to that moment? Well, in, in Luke chapter 22, this is the story of the Last Supper, and, and Jesus foretells of his crucifixion, his resurrection. He foretells of the betrayal by Judas and, and also the one by Peter. And in Luke 22, 31 through 34, here's what Jesus says to Simon. Simon, Simon, behold... Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny me three times that you know me. What do you all think that sifting looked like? Which, number one, 
the idea that Satan goes to God and says, hey, let me, let me, let me have at Peter. That's crazy in and of itself. How did, how did Satan even get that opportunity? Okay, well, consider the timeline. If we go a little further down in Scripture in Luke 24, we see uh, where Jesus was resurrected. The Bible says, Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told them these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in, and he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what happened. Why do you think he ran? He just denied Jesus. Jesus was dead. Do you think there was a little bit of torment and taunting going on in Peter's heart in that moment? In John 20, we see Peter having raced to the tomb with John, went in and saw the grave clothes lying there, including the face covering. It's like that's it's like these little details in the Bible. It's like it's not enough that they saw the grave clothes, that they see the face covering that has the outline of Jesus face on it. The last time he saw Jesus face, what was he doing? He's betraying him. See, it was it was insult to injury. He went back home, perplexed. And then, and then the chapter records two other times Jesus appeared. But what do you think was going through Peter's mind in that moment? Let me ask you this. Have you ever done something to someone and you were terrified to face them again? <laughs> All right, so have you ever done something to someone and, and, and when you did see them, they act like nothing happened? Like, that's worse. You know what I'm saying? Like, at least be mad. You know what I mean? Like, at least that... It, but Jesus appeared, and we don't have any record of Jesus taking Peter to the side and saying, hey, listen, man, like, what was all that? Like, man, I told you it was going to happen, but, bruh, like, what the heck? You said you'd go to the grave with me. Like, you, come on, man. Nothing? What do you think Peter was feeling in those moments? You know, doubting Thomas is standing there saying, I don't believe. And Thomas is like, whoop, okay, I believe now. Peter's sitting right there. Peter's always talking. He's always putting his foot in his mouth. You ain't hear nothing from Peter, do you? He's just, mom is the word. Why? It's because he was being tormented. He's being taunted by the enemy. Look, you think you're all that big bad? Oh, Jesus, the living son of God. Like all these confessions that you make, one of Jesus' top three, in with him at the transfiguration. And Thomas is the one that's doing a better job at this than you are. Can you imagine what the enemy was saying to Peter in that moment? Now, we can't know for certain what was going on in Peter's mind, but we can get an idea in John 21. John 21, verses 2 and 3, it says this, Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we'll go with you. And they went out and got into a boat, but that night they caught nothing. Now, I've, I've preached from this verse several times at Freedom because it's one of the most powerful chapters in the entire Bible, in my opinion. It is such... A beautiful chapter of, of forgiveness and mercy. And if you need forgiveness and mercy in your life, you need to read John 21 and allow the Holy Spirit to show you that what show you how Jesus treats people who betray him. It's it's a beautiful, beautiful chapter. Okay. But but the words I'm going fishing were huge. They were massive. It was less about Peter just wanting to go do busy work, and it was more about returning to a life that Peter had abandoned once he decided to follow Jesus. I'm going Fisher was Peter's way of processing what had happened. He denied Jesus. It was done. The one he meant that meant the most to him, he betrayed him. There's no way Jesus wants me back. So Peter went back to what he knew. Come on, church. If that doesn't speak to us, when we feel like we've hurt God or we push so hard against him that he doesn't want us anymore, we go right back to the stuff. Say, you know what? Christianity just doesn't work. No, we messed up. And we screwed up, but we didn't allow the grace and forgiveness to flow inside of us to get us back. If you look back at Luke 22, when Jesus was telling Peter, you are going to deny me. He said, but listen, I have prayed that once you have turned again, even when Jesus was telling Peter, you're going to deny me. Jesus was already speaking life because he said, you're going to realize it. You're going to be forgiven. And I still have a purpose for you. Listen to me, church, whatever you've done, however bad, however ugly, however messed up, you are not damaged goods. God's not done with you. He's not finished. He couldn't love me after what I did. Really? Go look at some of the biggest names in the Bible. 
murderers, adulterers, betrayers. These are not the people you want on your lead team. And God still used him to change the world. What do you think he thought about during that gap between the betrayal and this moment back in the boat? What do you think was going through his mind? I have an idea. Hey, Peter, you're not good enough, man. Jesus made a mistake when he, when he said, follow, follow me. You're always messing everything up. If you watch The Chosen, you can really get a sense of this with you know, Peter trying to fix all the financial troubles. And I'm not saying that that's biblical, but it's just neat to see that perspective. Peter seemed to be a person that was always trying to fix anything. And that's another reason why I really relate to Peter, because I'm always trying to fix stuff. And you know, sometimes you can fix something. And it doesn't work like last yesterday when I was putting Christmas lights on the house. And I decided I need to shorten the light cable a little bit to make it perfect. And then they stopped working. We're going to move right on. I'm not going to dwell on the past. See, that was just, that's in the past. You know what I'm saying? Peter, how could anyone love someone like you? Hey, Peter, why would God want to use you after what you did? That's torment, y'all. And you know what? We see this at work in Liberty County. I see this at work everywhere. There is a giant of a taunting, tormenting spirit, and you can see the evidence of it all around. If we use Peter's situation as the model, we can clearly see that Satan and his sifting of Peter was bent on stopping the work of God in Peter's life. The goal was to stop Peter's purpose in his tracks, and Satan put all his money on one moment of weakness in Peter's life and then began sifting, not with a physical torture, but with mental and emotional harassment. Had his plan worked, you know what we wouldn't know? We wouldn't know the Peter of Acts chapter 2. Or Acts chapter 3 of Acts chapter 4. Where Peter stood up in the middle of the temple complex and said, Hey everybody, listen up. Y'all killed the Son of God. You did it. Wait a minute. A few weeks before, this guy wouldn't say anything to anybody. I'm denying Jesus. I don't even know him. Now he's standing up where they could stone him in that moment. They could take him and crucify him in that moment. And he was standing up saying, y'all killed God. Y'all did it. The one that came to save you, you despised him. And what you need to do is repent and give your life to Jesus. 3,000 people were added to the church in that moment. That's some boldness, man. If you ever want to know what the Holy Spirit really does, why we always harp on you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit, because it will take cowardice and turn it into courage if you'll let it. The thing that you think you could never be, the Holy Spirit can create that in you if you will let him. Peter 3 and 4. Peter walks by a beggar and the beggar says, hey, give me some money. Peter says, I ain't got no money, but here's what I do have. Rise up and walk. He was betraying Jesus a few weeks before. And now Jesus is using him to heal people. And like, what brokenness has been in your family? What brokenness have you had a hand in in your family? Can you imagine in a few weeks Jesus using you to bring healing to your family? We'd have never heard the verse 2 Peter 1, 3, and 4. One of my favorite verses. By His divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know Him, the One who called us to Himself by, his, by means of His marvelous glory and excellence. And because of His glory and excellence, He has given us a great, great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share His divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. Man, alive! This is just happy verses that came to Peter in a moment of bliss. He lived this. He was overcome by the world's corruption and human desires. His life was changed. Peter says, I allowed the world and the enemy to corrupt me, and I couldn't possibly have been any value without Jesus. But through his precious promises and his divine power, the Holy Spirit, he called me to himself in spite of myself. The Spirit wants, this Spirit wants to stop the work of God in your life. The Spirit wants to stop it in this area too. 
But listen to this. This spirit is bent on taunting and tormenting you because of your past mistakes and your current failures to keep you in a pattern of believing that you will never reach the potential God created in you. This spirit wants you to walk in unforgiveness, to believe lies, to embrace hopelessness and die broken. I want you to just take a moment right now and in your mind drive around this county. And I want you to ask yourself, do you see any of this? Do you see any hopelessness in Liberty County? Do you see people believe in lies? Do you see unforgiveness? Do you see people dying broken? It's everywhere. So, so what do we do about this? In the time left, I want to share four things with you, and then we're going to have a confession like we always do at the end. Four things that we need to do to tear down this spirit in our own lives and in Liberty County. Are you ready? Number one, walk in forgiveness. You know, sometimes there are Bible verses that are hard to understand. I don't know if you know that, but there are a few. And a lot of times it divides theologians. You know, after having spent seven years um, in Bible college, I can tell you there were a lot of conversations we had about verses. Like, for instance, like once saved, always saved. Um, Predestination. Like some pretty big conversations about these things. Now, most people don't really think about these things, but when you're in Bible college and you learn all this stuff, there's a lot of, we call them debates. Debates, not arguments. Um, but here's a verse that's pretty difficult to understand. We're talking about a tormenting spirit here. 1 Samuel 16, 14. Now the Spirit of the Lord left Saul, and an evil spirit sent from the Lord began to torment him. Huh? What? Oh, God's sending out tormenting spirits now. Well, why? Well, why would that tormenting spirit come from God? Well, see, Saul had rejected God. He rejected God. And because of this, God removed his spirit from him. In Matthew 12, Jesus tells us that when a house is unoccupied, a spirit will bring with it seven more worse than itself to occupy that empty space. Sent from, in in the Hebrew here, is the same verb used when God punished with fire and brimstone, with plagues, etc. God sent plagues. God sent fire and brimstone. Why? Because where there's sin... There's death and destruction. That's it. The wages of sin is what? It ain't life. It's death. Truth is, Peter did betray Jesus. It happened, y'all. It's a fact. Peter rejected Jesus. That actually happened. And Satan wanted to sift Peter, but he needed a reason. He needed an end. Peter's sin gave Satan the right to sift him. So, if you ever want some tackling fuel to not sin, think of it like this. Every time I sin, I'm giving Satan a right to sift me. It's a very different way to look at sin. Would you invite Satan into your house? Come on, both of them. We're having turkey. Give him the driest piece you can find, right? No, you wouldn't invite Satan into your house. But we invite him in our hearts when we sin. You need to think about that. Satan is allowed to traffic in darkness, the Bible talks about. Sin is darkness. Peter betrayed Jesus. Saul rejected God. How is your sin helping Satan torment you? Well, Proverbs 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So if you're a sinner in here, I want you to know you're in some good company. There's a lot of us. Okay? I sin too. You're the preacher. We all sin. Peter sinned, but only Satan wants you to wallow in your sin. Hear that. Only Satan wants you to wallow in your sin. So if you're trying to wallow in your mistakes, you're doing what Satan wants you to do. What does God want? He wants us to walk in forgiveness. That's what he wants. Our sin gives Satan the option to torment us, but God's grace and mercy gives us the option to be forgiven. I had kind of an eye-opening moment this week when I was putting this together. And, and if you will, leave that on the screen for just a moment so you can see this. But I don't want to sin. Like, I don't want to. It hurts God's heart. I don't want to do that. I, I want to live a life that's free of sin. But, but I sin. I mess up. But I've never seen, I've always seen my sin as 
something wrong, something bad, something I shouldn't do. It, and it is. That, all that's true. I shouldn't do that. But I've never seen it as an opportunity to walk in his forgiveness. And it's like, I know that after I've received God's forgiveness, there's a moment of clarity in my soul and my spirit with God the Father. Where it's like the restoration of, you know how it is when you're arguing with somebody, especially like you, people who are married, argue with your spouse, like eh, everything's tremble. But, but once you make up, it's like awesome, isn't it? Like the love kicks up again and you'll hug it out and like it's, it's great, right? I, I feel that with God when I receive his forgiveness. So it's like I don't want to continually walk in sin, but I definitely want to continually walk in forgiveness. And where Satan means my sin to separate from me from God it does give me an opportunity to experience a new relationship with Jesus with forgiveness. Some of the torment you're enduring is not because you sinned. It's because you refuse to forgive and be forgiven. Hey, you messed up this week. I hear you. Don't give God three days to calm down. He doesn't need that. He is slow to anger, the Bible says. So you can either wallow in sin and continue to torment yourself or you can just receive his forgiveness and get on with your relationship with him. That's your option. In John 21, Jesus asked Peter three times if Peter loves him. Three loves for three failures. Peter, grieved for his actions, responded each time with, I love you. And we like to think that Peter's forgiveness came in that moment. I actually think it was a few verses earlier. If you look in John 21, 7, the Bible says, the disciple whom Jesus loved, John is always flexing, that was John, um, said to Peter, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work and he threw himself into the sea. <laughs> Your boy couldn't even wait for the boat to dock. Threw himself into the sea. When his sin would rather Peter stay away from Jesus, grace and mercy threw him into the water to swim to the feet of Jesus. Peter couldn't wait for the boat. He had to swim. And some of us, our sin has made us feel like we aren't even in the boat. But, but that we're out there in the ocean just treading water, trying to stay afloat in the midst of the torment over the sin and the brokenness in our lives. And Satan wants you treading water. He wants you struggling and fighting and using all of your energy to stay afloat because of your sin. But let me lovingly encourage you, stop treading water and start swimming to Jesus. If you want forgiveness, this is how easy it is. You ready? 1 John 1 and 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And remember Psalm 51, 17, that a broken heart and a contrite spirit, O God, you have yet to despise. God doesn't hate you because of your sin. He loves you because of his forgiveness. Your sin can be an opportunity to experience God's forgiveness instead of Satan's torment. So ask for and walk in his forgiveness. Amen? I mean, before you leave today, some of you need to just take a moment. Maybe it's at the altar at the end here. Maybe it's even right now in this moment. I'm okay with you skipping the next one mentally if you just take a moment and ask for forgiveness and receive that right now. But you need to do that. The second one is this, to reject lies. Truth trumps torment. John 8, 32. You will know the truth and it will set you free. Come on, somebody. Aren't you glad that the truth will set you free? See, Satan is the father of lies. You're not good enough. You always mess everything up. You'll never amount to anything. How could you, how can anyone love somebody like you? Why would God want to use you after what you've done? These are all lies. They're just lies. There's a great quote from Seinfeld from George Costanza. It says, it isn't a lie if you believe it. Huh? Come on, Seinfeld fans, where are you at? I'm dating myself right now. I know I am. While this is really funny in the context of a Seinfeld episode, it's precisely where some of us are living today. Okay? We so aggressively cling to these statements because to us, they are true. I haven't amounted to anything. My dad was right. They've become true. We've chosen to believe and embrace them lock, stock, and barrel, even to the point where Satan doesn't even have to work nearly hard anymore to torment us because in believing the lie, we're doing it for him. It's, it's like he's created a perpetual lie motion machine in us, and we just do it ourselves. Don't give the enemy a hand in your destruction, church. Don't do that. 
If I believe I'm worthless, I will be. If I believe I'm damaged goods, I will be. If I believe I'm a victim, I will be. And no matter how good things are going, I will always find a way to mess everything up if I believe that I'm a failure. This works with anything. It explains the delusion that we see in our culture today. We believe lies about ourselves, about our past, our sexuality, our mental state, our spirituality, about church, about family, even about God. And in believing, we embrace the spirit of torment in our lives. We tend to become what we are confessing. That's why embracing the word of God and what he says about you is so essential. You're either who God says you are or else you're believing a lie. Get that deep down in your spirit. You're either who God says you are or you're believing a lie. It's true you may have sinned. Okay? Peter sinned. Okay? You may have had a belief or action that was counter to God's best for you. But your identity is in who God says you are, not in what Satan said you did. It's very important. Okay? So if you've sinned, ask for forgiveness. But then believe, begin to believe a better word, that you're not the sum total of your sins, but you're the sum total of God's thoughts about you. And by the way, if you didn't know this, the Bible promises us that as many sand, sand pieces as there are on the seashore, that's God's thoughts towards you. Like trillions upon trillions. That's how God thinks about you. If you're going to reject the lie, you have to know the truth. God's word is truth. So if you're believing lies about yourself, the first step first step is getting in the word and finding out what God says about you and allowing that to change you. The third one is this, embrace hope. It's one of my favorite verses. I got a lot of favorite verses in here today. Psalm 27, 13. David said, I would have given up hope had I not seen the goodness of God in the land of the living. Oh, come on, church. Sometimes we just need to stop and look around and see what God is doing. Yeah, there's a lot of badness out there, but my goodness, he's good and he's doing a lot of good things in your life. You're breathing. It's a start. Okay? You ain't dead yet. That's good. Why is hope such a big deal, though? Because when you're hopeless, you give up trying. I see this so much in Liberty County. I see it so much. There is a culture of just enough in this area. The bare minimum. We get pushback sometimes because excellence is one of our core values. All right? Excellence is a standard for us. Excellence is not perfection. It's your best effort. We give our best effort. That's what excellence is. And God is not calling us to be like perfect little robots. He wants us to give our best effort. And in that process, he creates perfection in us. We may not be perfect as a whole, complete human being, but we may have been perfect in how we responded to that temptation where we used to fail. Come on, church. That's good. That's excellence. That's you giving your best effort. And I've wondered in this area if it was a result of just not knowing a different way. Like, you know, ignorance is just a lack of knowledge. It's not an insult. It just means you don't know. But how can that be in this informationally overloaded world we live in? You can find anything in the world by saying, hey, Siri. Stop. Uh Stop. Leave me alone. Go away. Okay. (laughs) Case in point. Could it be generation after generation after generation of the status quo? Perhaps, but as I really began to lean into what God thinks about it, I saw some patterns that point to the spirit rather than a blunt refusal to to, to go over and above. It's not that people don't want to go over and above. Okay, I believe that the enemy, the taunting spirit, tormenting spirit is working against him in a few ways. The first one is, it's always speaking condemnation. You know, conviction from the Holy Spirit says, you know, you shouldn't have, hunt, you shouldn't have done that, but we're going to work on changing your heart so you don't do this anymore. Condemnation says, I can't believe you would do something like that. You see the difference? So the Holy Spirit convicts, and you want conviction. You want to feel bad for your sin. You don't want to feel condemned for your sin. And that's the best way you can know if you are hearing from the Lord in that moment or from the enemy in that moment, because if you're hearing from the Lord, you'll feel the impetus to change But if you are hearing from Satan, you'll feel torment. You'll feel condemnation. You'll feel like trash. Okay? Are you always feeling condemned no matter what you do or how hard you try? 
then perhaps you're being tormented, uh, tormented by a spirit that's always speaking condemnation. What about this one? Uses your history to ruin your future. A pattern of failure can make someone believe that not failing is uh, not possible. Do you feel like no matter what you do, it's going to fail anyway? Maybe Satan is trying to use your history to ruin your future. What about this one? It wants you to live in your failures. Beyond just remembering a failure, the enemy wants you wallowing in them. So as often as possible, this spirit will remind you of your past failure by using current situations as evidence. Okay? Um, Are your current thoughts consumed by your past mistakes? So like when you walk through that door, you wanted to be here, you wanted to come, you wanted to experience God, but the moment you walk through those doors right there, all of a sudden you begin to remember all your past mistakes. That's a tormenting spirit. What about this one? Fosters the notion of good enough, not excellence. Because you're being tormented by what has happened in the past, you lose hope for the future. So rather than giving it your best, which is excellence... You give it just enough because it's probably going to fail anyway. Do you look at your future as the same struggle you find in your past? Come on, like hear that. Because a lot of times we can can squash the hope of our future because we expect that the future is going to look just like the past. Listen to me. The only way the future looks just like your past is if you refuse to let God do anything about your past. This isn't why you're here today. You didn't come to get a star or a free donut or a coffee. You came because you want God to do whatever it takes to help mold you into who he created you to be. And he will put you next to people that have experienced the same situations that you've experienced. He'll take an alcoholic and set them right next to somebody who's been 19 years sober. He'll take somebody who was abused and broken and who's free from it now, walking in God's forgiveness and grace. Not only God's forgiveness, but the ability to forgive the people that hurt them and set them right next to somebody who's currently going through abuse. Why does God do that? Well, because he, you know, Satan would say, oh, he wants to taunt you. He wants to show you, huh? This is what you could be, but you'll never get it. No, what God wants that person, man, God wants those people who are free to wrap their arms around those people and love them and speak life into them and say, it's going to be a cold day. You know where before I let you fall down a trail where you're never going to amount to anything. Man, like I know we want people to step up and embrace forgiveness and healing and all that stuff. But listen, church, if you've experienced forgiveness and healing, you are you are required by the Lord to reach out and help somebody. Like, honor what God did in you by moving the kingdom in somebody else. Well, I can't talk about it because when I talk about it, I'll get choked up and I don't like crying in front of people. Cry. I cry all the time. Y'all still like me? I hope. You know what? I put it on Facebook this week. Only Satan benefits when you don't share your testimony. But a shared testimony is something God can use to see the kingdom move. And I'm going to be honest with you. I can hear a lot of great messages and it encourages me. But when I hear somebody talk about a struggle that they've gone through and how God's brought them out of it, boy, that gets me fired up. Like charge hell with a water pistol kind of fired up. You know what I'm talking about? All of these things will drive you to stop trying. Okay? The interesting thing about sifting wheat is that when it's tossed into the air, the wheat and chaff separate. The spirit of torment says, look at how much worthless stuff was in you. The spirit of God says, look at how much worth was in you. So let me just ask a question. You know, when, when you, I don't know, we don't do this in the world today. We just go buy bread at Walmart. But when you throw wheat in the air, the wind comes through and it blows the chaff away because the chaff is exponentially lighter than the actual wheat kernels are. And the wheat kernels fall to the ground and the chaff blows away. Now, a good farmer is paying attention to the wheat because he doesn't want to lose any of it. A wasteful farmer is focused on the chaff and ignores the wheat. We do this. And the spirit of torment helps us. The spirit of torment helps us by focusing on all the chaff that was messing everything up rather than focusing on the incredible wheat that God had inside of you. 
Come on, we got to change our focus, guys. We got to change our focus. So if we're going to slay this giant, we need to put our faith in something other than our failures. Hebrews 11.1 1 says this, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. You see, faith is the realization of that for which you've hoped for and the confidence that what you cannot see is actually there. Well, I don't really see any forgiveness and healing in my life right there, right now. It's there. It's there. We just got to get the kernels out. We got to get the weed out. What that means? That means you need to get in a D group in January. That means you need to take freedom class. That means you need to go have coffee with somebody and tell them what you're struggling with. Those things are like sifting from the Holy Spirit that allow the goodness to come out and the badness to get blown down the wind. That's what we have to do. When you have more faith in your failures than in your father, torment is the result. Trust God with your past and be filled with hope today and for tomorrow. Here's the last one. Live whole and complete. Torment wants you to die broken, but God wants you to be perfect, complete, lacking nothing. Look at James 1, 2, and 4. We want to be perfect, complete, and lacking nothing, but we don't necessarily like the process. Here's the process. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Ugh. That patience, let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. We don't like trials. Uh-uh. We don't like testing. I hated test day at school, didn't you? I liked it in college because as soon as you took your test, you could leave. You know what I'm talking about? Like, we don't like being tested. We definitely don't like patience. You want any evidence of that? Ride with me down the flats between Dayton and Liberty. You know what I'm saying? Like, the river bottom will get you. Or the 610. You know what I'm saying? Like, come on, somebody. Why are you in the left lane driving the speed limit? What is wrong with you? It's a whole different demon. That's a, whole, that's a giant of Harris County. That's a whole different animal. We'll deal with that at some other time. <laughs> lots, of di- lots of giants over there. Are you okay with God putting you into a trial that tests you, develops patience, and gets you to a place where you're perfect, complete, and lacking nothing? I know you want to be perfect, complete, and lacking nothing, but are you okay with the trial and the testing? Are you okay with the patience? It, it's not like... It's not like a buffet where you can just pick and choose. I don't like the greens. No, it's all or nothing. Okay? Peter went through a trial, don't you think? <laughs> but what happened after? He was filled with the Spirit in Acts 2 and 4, and they gave the message of his life in the following verses. All of the cowardice of that fateful night of betrayal was replaced with miraculous courage in the face of the very people that had just crucified Jesus. And Peter did go on to fulfill his purpose, leading the church moving forward the kingdom that we're a part of even today. I read this week something interesting. There's this old, um, old tradition, it's a tradition, who knows if it's true, that, that Peter, once the persecution in Rome really started kicking up, that Peter decided he was going to leave Rome. And on the way out, he saw Jesus walking to Rome. And he said, Jesus, where are you going? And he said, I'm going to be crucified again. And the, the legend is that Peter stopped in his tracks turned around and marched back to Rome where he was promptly put to death. And, and the tradition is that Peter in that moment realized that he already was whole and complete, lacking nothing, but it'd be a cold day and you know where before he denied Jesus and betrayed him again. And so he turned right back around and marched to impending doom. Let me ask you a question, church. Are you at a place with your relationship with Jesus right now where you are whole and complete? You're perfect and complete and lacking nothing where you'd be willing to walk into the very thing that everything inside of you says to flee from? Would you be willing, for instance, to go plant a church in Liberty County? I'm talking about me personally now. Would I be willing to leave what was comfortable for us Away from Rome. That's what we had to do. That was one thing. And, and thank God we were obedient. And it's not been easy. Babe, we had any trials and temptations and testing? We had any patience worked in us? But you know what? I'm closer to being perfect, complete, and whole than I've ever been in my life. So don't be afraid of the trial. 
The trial has a plan to work perfect and complete and wholeness in you. Let me just let Peter tell you himself and then we'll, we'll close. First Peter 1 and 3 through 9. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is Peter writing this. It is by his great mercy that we've been born again because God raised Jesus from the dead. Now we live with great expectation and we have priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive his salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. So be truly glad. There is a wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show, will show you that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor to the, uh, on the day uh, when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. You love him even though you've never seen him. Though you do not see him now, you trust him. And you rejoice with a glorious and expressible joy. The reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your souls. Guys, he was changed. Listen to the language. He was clearly a different man than he was on the night he betrayed Jesus. Even in terms of his own impetuous lack of self-control. Look at what he continues to say in verse 13. So prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. What? Peter? Captain Choppy Ear? Like... Really? You told Jesus to shut up one day. And he called you Satan for it. You exercise self-control? You see what happens with trials? Impetuous Peter became a self-controlled man. Even to the point when Jesus gave him a dream to welcome Gentiles. And Peter was like, and all of a sudden he had this dream. Then Peter was like, okay. Changed his whole life. Put all the hope in, put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. Kind of like um, I'm going fishing, slipping back into your old ways. You see, into Peter's life, he was a different man. You didn't know any better then, but now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver which lose their value. It was with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. God chose him as your ransom long before the world began. But now in these last days, he has been revealed for your sake. Through Christ, you have come to trust in God. You have placed your faith and hope in God because he raised Christ from the dead and gave him great glory. You were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth. So now you must show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters. Love each other deeply with all your heart, for you have been born again, not to a life that will quickly end. Your new life will last forever because it comes from the eternal living word of God. How was Peter able to live whole and complete? Well, he walked in forgiveness. He rejected lies and he embraced hope. He didn't let a taunting, tormenting spirit destroy his life. You don't either. This county has been influenced by this spirit long enough. And as we've done every week, we, we make this confession. And so what we want to do is we want to have the same confession this week and tear down this giant, not only in Liberty County, but in our lives as well. So I'm going to have it on the screen. And remember, these are words on a screen. But if you mean them, God means them. Confession is how things are done in the Bible. You're saved by confession. We're going to tear this giant down by confession as well. Amen. Read this with me. Let's confess this together. Father, I confess now that a taunting, tormenting spirit has affected how I think, believe, and act. I acknowledge that I have allowed this spirit to operate in my life in many ways. I repent before you, Lord, for my involvement with the spirit of torment and come out of agreement with the spirit of torment in the name of Jesus. By the power of your blood and your Holy Spirit in me, Lord, I dismantle it. Bind it from attaching itself to me or my dependents and command it to flee and never return. I confess, Father, that I have allowed sin and unforgiveness, lies and unbelief, hopelessness and brokenness to keep me in a cycle of torment in my life. 
I have wallowed in my mistakes and failures and refused to walk in forgiveness, truth, and hope. I confess this as sin and receive your forgiveness. I confess I have allowed torment to use my past failures to stifle my relationship with you. Thank you for forgiving me, for speaking truth over me, for giving me a hope and a future. And I ask that by your spirit, you restore to us the relationship torment has tried to ruin. From this moment on, I refuse to allow this taunting, tormenting spirit to have any impact in my life. I command taunting and torment to flee and never return, not just in my life, not just in my family, but in this church and in this area in the name of Jesus. I speak life over myself in this area in the name of Jesus. I'm a new creation and all things are made new in you, Jesus. Fill every space emptied by this evil spirit with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Come on, church. Let's just take a moment and honor and praise God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, that you've given us the authority by your spirit, by your name, by your precious blood to pull down these strongholds. We command this giant of a taunting, tormenting spirit to flee and never return from Liberty County in the mighty name of Jesus. And God, I thank you that it is also gone from our own lives, that we will not be tormented by this evil spirit. We will not be taunted. We will not wallow and live in our past. But God, we embrace the hope, the truth. We embrace everything you have for us in the mighty name of Jesus. We love you and we praise you, God. We bless you, God. Help us as we go forward from this place that every time that spirit tries to impact us again, that we remember that we are set free, that that spirit has to leave and never return. That we are yours, God. We praise you, God. We love you. We receive your forgiveness. We receive your mercy and grace. Fill us fresh and new with your spirit even now. It's overflowing, Father. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. Amen. At Freedom, we want to help you have authentic relationships with God and His people, to have real experiences with the Holy Spirit, and to find lasting freedom. If the Holy Spirit speaks to you through this message, or if you want to make a decision for Jesus, please reach out at freedomdl.com slash connect. For more info on Freedom, including service times and location, visit freedomdl.com. Thanks for listening.